All right. How's everybody doing tonight? Doing good? I got one thumbs up. He's the only guy doing good. How's everybody doing? Good. All right. Hey, good to see you. Welcome to church tonight. Would you stand as we begin to worship? Hey, we're going to begin in the in God's Word this evening. <laughs> yeah. A lot of energy in the room today. <laughs> Feels like the youth room over there. All right. Hey, we're going to begin in God's Word today. I was a this psalm has been my, on my heart this week, one of my favorites. It's Psalm 95. It says, "O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation." Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So... Tonight, let's sing with, uh, with soft hearts. Let's uh, sing like we believe that God is moving, that he's active in our lives, and that we believe that that is true. Amen. All right, let's sing together. In Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving ceases. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ. I'll stand in Christ alone who took on flesh the fullness of God in helpless babe this gift of life and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on Him was made And here in the death of Christ I'll live And there in the ground There in the ground His body lay the light of the world by darkness slain, but then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his. Is mine. I am bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no 
fear and death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand till he returns, till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Oh, here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Amen. And I cast my mind to Calvary. I cast my mind to Calvary. Where Jesus bled and died for me, I see His wounds, His hands, His feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body was bound and broken for us. His body bound and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore, for endless days. We will sing Your praise, O Lord, O Lord our God. But on that third day, then on the third, at break of dawn, Oh, the Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. And oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore, for endless days. We will sing Your praise, O oh Lord, O oh Lord our God. And He's coming back. He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints. 
my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Thank you, God. Sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore, for endless days. We will sing your praise, oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God, oh, Lord. Oh Lord, oh Lord our God, oh Lord, oh Lord our God. Amen. Praise God. Let's let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of these songs. God, that you have not left us alone and that we can uh, rely on you as the rock of our salvation, but also God, that we have the ability to praise you and that you have not barred yourself from us, but that you, you give yourself to us freely so that we can have you in our hearts as a, as a temple uh, for your spirit, God. We just love you, and we thank you for that, and we love you, and we praise you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to go several different places in Scripture tonight, but if you want to begin one place, 1 Peter chapter 5 is a great place to, uh, great place to start out. We'll, we'll read several passages and, uh, and then talk about some of the things that are on that half sheet of paper that hopefully you picked up on the back, uh, the back table there. As you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 5, I want us to take some time like we usually do on Wednesday night just to come together and... Uh, and be able to pray for one another, share things that are, that are going on. So Jim just got a message a few minutes ago that Christy, who is one of the police officers who comes to be at the building on Sunday morning or Wednesday nights, the text message just says that she got in a fight, but Jim says it's on the job she got in a fight today as a police officer, and I think she has a little bit of a concussion and some, uh, some results from that. So just a reminder that people in... Uh, those type of roles are putting themselves out there for us uh, every, every day in ways like that. And so we're thankful for our officers getting to know them and just encourage them as they, as they come and serve here and, and kind of get to know them a little bit. So uh, we want to pray for Christy tonight who wasn't able to be here like she, she thought she was. Uh, continue to pray for Paul and Margie Lewis for uh, so many of you who know Paul and Margie and love them, Paul is doing much better, Carl said. He was able, Carl was able to see Paul. Uh, he's not in CCU anymore. He's just in a room there on the ninth floor at, at Baptist. But Carl said he just looked a lot better. Uh, and then continue to pray for Margie as, as well. Do you all have any other updates of people you've, you've been praying for or ministering to? throughout the week, things that are going on? Yes. For Anita, okay. 
We have a family in our church who is a part of Southwest Covenant School in Yukon, and many of you probably saw on the news the just gut-wrenching news about the sophomore there who died in the football game on Friday night. So continue to pray for for that school and the way that their families responded. I didn't know, but Jim was telling me that the young man who passed away, his older brother had been part of the ambassador's baseball program that Emmaus has been been working with for several years. And so a really strong family, but just can't even begin to imagine what that's like for them and for their school going through that. So continue to pray for them. One other thing uh, I would say before we take a moment to pray together, we try from time to time, I know we're not consistent week after week doing this, but just, you know, praying for other churches uh, around, and I was able to have lunch today with Jason Warner, who's the pastor at South Park Baptist up at 119th in May, and so spent some time with Jason today praying and talking, and so it's a good reminder of we want to do a good job praying for one another as different churches, and how do we how do we care for one another? So I want us to be able to pray for, pray for South Park tonight, for, for God's work in, in that church and things that are going on there. So, I'm, Yeah, I kind of, I was wondering if that, I've, I didn't say that, but I was pretty sure that was probably the same Leon Wilson that you were, just, you were just talking about there. Yeah. And it's his daughter who was diagnosed. Okay. Gotcha. Which, strange segue, but I think this works. Um, we were passing out revival invitations uh, recently, and a, a gentleman that Carl and I have both shared the gospel with over the last couple of months, who we're praying will come to the revival this next week, we ended up at Leon's house thinking we were going to this, or at least I ended up at Leon's house thinking I was going to this other guy, and Leon's like, no, I'm, I've been a believer for a while. I was the pastor at South Park for a long time, so... Anyway, I met Leon, kind of an awkward moment, but I, I met him. So with that as the segue, do be praying for our revival services Sunday night through Wednesday night, uh, praying that, that God would bring people to salvation, that God would use it in our own heart to bring us to a place of repentance and recommitment. And, and so just encourage you to reach out to people, send text messages, uh, follow up with people that you know who, who might really enjoy connecting in this way. So, Carl, anything else we need to say about, about revival as a heads up? or Come and bring somebody with you. Yeah. Sunday night, we're doing the meal at 5 o'clock to kick things off before the service at 6 o'clock. So the meal at 5 o'clock. I think we did have a sign-up over at the, uh, the meal, and I think it's also on this back table. If you're going to come at 5 o'clock, just let us know. It'll help Carl be prepared with with food and have all that ready so all right I know it's the middle of the week many of you worked a long day already today so let's just take a moment and uh spend some time in prayer together and then we'll we'll study scripture as well just want to give you a chance to uh just right where you are thank God for his grace and faithfulness not knowing what you face necessarily today but just just want to give you a chance to do that right now.
God, as we study scripture tonight and look at your word about the gift of, of being a part of a local church, God, we're reminded of that when we come together like this in the middle of the week and eat together, pray together. God, we can't thank you enough for those that minister to our preschoolers, our children, our youth, ministry that's going on around the building with the music ministry and all the preparation both spiritually and musically that they put into uh, to what they do. God, we thank you for uh, the local churches that you placed around us for us to be in partnership with. God, we pray for South Park. I pray for Jason as he's pastoring and leading there. God, that you would give him wisdom. Thank you for uh, the healing that you brought to his wife and all that they've been through in the last couple of months with her sickness. God, continue to, uh, to give that church wisdom and discernment about moving ahead, just as we all need that. God, we pray for our friends and brothers and sisters at Southwest Covenant as they go through the school year with what they faced this last week. God, thank you for what, the way they've shared the gospel through what they've faced. God, strengthen that family and the school administrators and teachers and students. God, we thank you for, uh, for Paul and Margie. We pray for them. We pray for Christy, our officer tonight, who had such a hard day at work and what she's faced. God, we pray for this, uh, this lady, Anita, who's facing a breast cancer diagnosis. And God, we do pray for Robert and Dale as they prepare to lead at the revival services coming up. God, we recognize in our own heart the danger of calling something a revival ahead of time. We, we know we use that as a term because it, it connects well with our experiences and what we've been a part of. But God, we do realize that only you bring revival. And God, we pray for that. We pray for that at Emmaus. We pray for that in our own hearts. God, I pray for that in my life, a spirit of repentance and commitment and dedication. So God, whatever you desire to do through this next week, through these coming weeks and months, God, let us be ready for that as a church family. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me give you an idea of what we're, what we're aiming at tonight for a kind of a strange topic. It, it's not related to Matthew, but what it is related to is we just came off a time of deacon ordination, and then we're looking ahead on the night of uh, September 29th to Jeff Hemphill's pastoral ordination. And so there's kind of a question around what is ordination, and then there's a broader question around what does church leadership in general look like from the New Testament? And so there's obviously way more behind those questions than we can cover in a night, but I thought tonight it would be a good opportunity for us to just step back and say, okay, how do we approach ordination? How do we approach church leadership? And what does that mean for us as a church? How do we, how do we handle this well as a church? And what does, the, what does the scripture have to say about that? So let's look initially in 1 Peter we're going to look at these verses, and then I want to tell you kind of how I came to be confronted with some of these uh, things we're going to look at, and then we'll work through our note sheet. So let's begin in 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter says, 
First Peter 5, 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. All right, let's stop right there for, for right now. So Peter is speaking here to, to these elders. You see that there in verse 1. And then in verse 2, there's the word shepherd or the phrase shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Does anyone's translation do something other than shepherd at the beginning of verse 2? Anybody have anything different other than shepherd? Okay, so that word there is the word that, that's the verb form, obviously. In the noun form that you find other places in the New Testament, the word shepherd is also the word that sometimes is translated pastor. So it's the word that's connected to pastoring or shepherding. So verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, or you could equally and even maybe more naturally uh, translate it, pastor the flock of God. Then there's this little qualifier, the flock of God that is among you. That's the call to pastors and elders to pastor the church that God gave you, not the one you wish he gave you. Um, so in other words, uh, Hans Dilbeck, who is, is the kind of over Oklahoma Baptist uh, at an executive role, He's so good in explaining this. His encouragement to us is, you are called to pastor and love the people that God has given you. And so as pastors, especially young pastors, we can be guilty of thinking, man, I would really be something if God gave me that church or that group of people. And Hans is coming back to us over and over again saying, but he didn't give you that group of people. He gave you this group of people. And so it's this important reminder, shepherd, pastor the flock of God who is among you, that we're in this, we're in this together, and God, God brings us in together for, for a purpose. So you have that reality there, and then it continues in the middle of verse 2. So shepherd the flock of God that is among you, and then there's a little phrase there, exercising oversight. Um, does anybody's translation do something different in the middle of verse 2? It says serving. Interesting. Watch over willingly. So there's watch over. There's, uh, what did I say I had? Exercising oversight. That is the term, and we'll look at it in a couple of other places, but it's the term for bishop or overseer. So this idea, if you read the Greek word out in the English, you would get the word episkopos. You can hear episcopalian in there, episkopos, this idea of a bishop or an overseer. Here's the kicker. In 1 Peter 5 here at the beginning where he's talking to these church leaders, he uses the term elder, he uses the verb form for pastor, and he uses the verb form for bishop or overseer and he uses them all in relation to one role or, or one idea. 
turn over just for a second to Acts chapter 20. So Acts, uh, Acts chapter 20 has that really great story where the guy falls asleep during the sermon and falls out the window and then he goes down and raises him from the dead and he goes back up and continues to preach. That's not the story we're looking at, but it's a really great story in Acts chapter 20. So Acts chapter 20, the verses we're going to look at are actually starting in verse 17. So I want you to see something again here. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul is on a journey, he stops over, and he calls for the elders at Ephesus to come and meet him. And so when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me throughout the, through the plots of the Jews. And so he, he continues to speak to them. He's speaking to them. Go down to verse 24. There's this famous verse in verse 24 where Paul says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to me, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you, uh, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So last time he's going to speak to these elders. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Then look at what he says in verse 28. He's speaking to the elders, remember. He's called the leaders from Ephesus, the elders, to come out. In verse 28, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Does anybody have a different word there other than the Holy Spirit has made you overseers? Everybody have overseers? Okay, that again is our word for bishop. Our episkopos word, that's the, that's the word showing up again there. Remember, he's speaking to elders, and he says, God has made you overseers. And then it says, to care for the church of God. Does anybody have something different than to care? Shepherd. Shepherd. Yes, I have no idea what the beloved English Standard Version did at that point. They just panicked as translators. But uh, so... To care for, that is the word for pastor. That's the verb for shepherding or pastoring there, to care or to pastor the shepherd, the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. So that's the reminder of the fact that we didn't establish the church. We didn't cause the church to come into being. This was the work of Christ, that he brought the church into being. So Paul is speaking to elders he refers to them as overseers, and he tells them they're supposed to pastor or shepherd. Now, this is one of those realities when you start thinking about how church life works. You guys know, many of you know, that I grew up in the quintessential small-town Southern Baptist Church, rural Southern Baptist, not even small-town, rural Southern Baptist Church. We all know the church, the green carpet on the floor, the wood paneling on the walls and the wooden signs at the front about how many attended last week and last year and how much money was given. 
You guys know that place, right? So that is where my faith was formed. That's the people I love and still go back and see. Uh, we had signs on both sides. I'm trying to remember what those wooden signs. One of them was member train union, number of invitations, number of people who were invited when you filled out on your envelope how many people you invited. And all the eighth graders would write down like 40 people that they invited. <laughs> we would always try to see how big we could get that number on the uh, on the board up there, so that was the first time in my life um, as a little kid sitting there, realizing that in Baptist church life, there was something wrong with membership <laughs> because we had like 480 members and maybe 120 on a really high week, and as a little kid, you're like, where did all those other people go to? So anyway, that's the church, um, and we had a pastor of the church. There was a pastor there was a song leader, music director. It depended on kind of how we referred to that person. There was the youth minister, and frankly, that's about where it stopped um, at, at our little church is the way it worked. So fast forward, uh, fast forward a little ways. Amanda and I uh, go through college, get married, go to New Orleans. Hurricane Katrina comes through. We end up back in Oklahoma. Don't know where we're going to go back in Oklahoma. Henderson Hills Baptist Church in Edmond picks us up and helps us get back on our feet, gives us a place to be on staff. We get to Henderson Hills, and they have elders on staff. Well, I'm 23 at this point, I guess. Grew up in Southern Baptist life. I've never heard of an elder. Didn't even know who an elder was or what an elder did or who, who was being referred to. And so it was just completely outside the box. And so I had to go through this process of trying to figure out who are they talking about? That they have elders in their church? I grew up with a pastor. What kind of Southern Baptist church is this that has elders and, and, and not a pastor? So I've kind of been on a lifetime journey of trying to figure out what does the New Testament say about this? How do you understand it? Some churches, depending on your background, some churches will have pastors, but then they'll have a separate elder board or a separate group of elders from the pastors. Some churches will just have elders, some churches will just have pastors. Very few churches in Baptist life will have a bishop. Frankly, I can't think of any Baptist churches that use the term bishop or, or overseer to refer to that. But what you find is you start to look at the New Testament. Best we can understand it. And this is, remember, this is a church that's growing. It's the early years uh, after Christ as the church is developing. Best we can tell, elder, pastor, overseer, as we understand, as I understand it, all refer to the same role, to that same designation, different facets of what that leader does from different angles. So an elder with that leadership, pastor feeding, overseer watching over, caring for the flock, but those three terms seem to kind of work together. So with that being said, let's work through this note sheet a little bit and look at some of these verses and kind of think about the so what question. All right, so so what? What does this matter? How do, how do we work this, work this out? I'm looking at the side that has the date at the top. So when it says Wednesday, theology of ordination, what are the roles that we find in the church in the New Testament? Number one, elder and deacon seem to be distinct roles in the church. In other words, that elder-pastor role seems to be different from the deacon role. Those are, those are two separate. And we find that clearly in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, 
where it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Again, there with overseers, that's our bishop word. That's our episkopos word. So not elders, not pastors, but he refers to them as overseers and deacons, two different groups. The language here is really neat, the way it works at the beginning of Philippians. The letter is directed to all the saints. So all the saints together, including those among who the saints are deacons and elders, or in fact, overseers. I messed up the language there. Deacons and overseers. So we're trying to keep these two roles separate. Now, when you get into 1 Timothy chapter 3, in fact, it'd be worth turning over there. Let's, let's take the time right now to kind of lay the foundation before we try to speed up very much. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you don't mind, just for a minute. There are kind of two other distinct places we see this, we see this playing out. So let's go ahead and look at it right now. I'm in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. So the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach is, is an interesting insertion in the middle of this description uh, of the overseer. It goes on to describe him managing his household well. Verse 5, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? How will he watch over? How will he oversee the church of God if he doesn't even take responsibility for his own home? This, this idea that's found there. So then in verse 8, you get this reference, deacons likewise, and it begins to give def- uh, different descriptions or, or characteristics of a deacon. Very similar to the characteristics of an overseer, the one distinction is nowhere in the reference to deacons do you find uh, any reference to teaching or, or able to teach or a requirement to teach. That seems to be one of the main differences between those two lists. So again, Here's the, here's the church being presented, leadership in the church being presented. You have the overseers, and you have the deacons. Now, go, go to Titus chapter 1. And if you're in 1 Timothy, you're really close to Titus. Just two books to your right. Or in your phone, scroll down. Um, so, Titus chapter 1. And remember... Just kind of keep it in the back of your mind. We just looked at 1 Timothy 3 where Paul refers to overseers and deacons. Now, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Titus is saying, or Paul is saying, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, so bring order to the church, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband was one of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Then look at verse 7. For an overseer 
as God's steward, must be above reproach. Again, you find elder and overseer being used side by side, presumably referring to the same office, to, to the same role that's given there. So you have these pieces beginning to fit together, hopefully, as you see it coming together in Scripture. So going back to our notes again, back on the notes real quick. Elder and deacon, number one, seem to be distinct roles in the church. Number two, elder, pastor, overseer refer to the same leadership role seem to all refer back to the same role. Now, let's just be honest here. We see through a glass darkly. (laughs) Uh, We don't understand all this perfectly. Someone could hear me say that and begin to argue back at me based on different factors. The way I read the New Testament and understand it, that seems to be the case. Elder, pastor, overseer, all referring to to the same role, to to that same task. Let's stop for a second, because I'm curious, pure curiosity. In the church that you grew up in, how many of you grew up in a church where the leadership was referred to as elders? Anybody grew up in a church? One, two, three. How many of you grew up in a church where the leaders were referred to as bishops or overseers? Yeah, big negative, we knew that. Just, it would seem fun to ask. Um, Number three, pastors? Leaders were referred to as pastors. Yeah, that, that betrays our good old Baptist, Baptist upbringing there. So, interestingly enough, in the New Testament, elder and overseer, or elder and bishop, seem to be the prominent titles. Pastor shows up very rarely um, as a title. In fact, clearly only once, kind of on the side, twice uh, as a title. We're creatures of habit. We grew up in churches where that role was referred to as pastors. And so I don't think, uh, don't hear anything I say tonight as this is, the goal of this is to get into arguments about terminology. That's not the goal. The goal is how do we operate as a church in a way that matches the New Testament? Like that's what we're, we're aiming at. I think sometimes in our area of the world, uh, church leaders are not referred to as elders either because of not wanting to cause confusion uh, with Mormon groups or Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints groups, potential confusion there, and so we don't use that title as much, or because in good old-fashioned Baptist tradition, elder was the term for leaders in the church down the road that we really didn't want to be associated with too much, and so we stayed away from that title. We stuck with pastor because we didn't want to be confused with, a, with another church or another group of churches down the road, and so we just didn't, we didn't use that, that title. Uh, sometimes you'll hear churches talk about, well, our church is going to an elder-led form of governance, or our church is going to elders. I know what churches mean when, when they refer to that. I think Intentions are really good when that begins to happen. But just remember, if your church has pastors, they have elders according to to the New Testament. Pastors, elders, overseers operating in the New Testament seemingly in reference to that same same role that's given there. So keep that in mind. Now let's move to point three. Deacon in the New Testament is tricky because it can be both a specific 
and a general term. In other words, deacon can refer to a leadership role of sorts in, in the church. And when, when I say leadership, I mean in the sense that leading servants in this role that's given in the church to, to serve as a deacon, it can refer to that. Deacon equally can just be a general term for serving. And so you'll see Paul multiple times in the New Testament referring to himself with the term for deacon, but when our, new t- when our English Bibles translate that term, it just comes out as servant or it comes out as minister, something like that in translation, trying to say this is a general term versus the church role of a deacon. The word for deacon is used tons in the New Testament. Very rarely does it get translated deacon, though, because the translators, I think, are trying to tell you when it seems to be using specifically about a role and when it seems to be a more general designation for just a servant uh, in, in the church. Number four, we need to be cautious from the New Testament about a clergy-laity split. Um, in, the, in the New Testament, when you hear church leaders, elders, pastors, overseers, you, you hear those leaders, we can't think in terms of that person is of a higher spiritual order than, than I am. In the New Testament, we are all priests. <laughs> in the New Testament, we are all saints. In the New Testament, we all have the same Holy Spirit. The pastor or the deacon or however you refer to those leadership roles that are given, they do not receive some type of higher order or higher classification in the church. Frankly, probably if we read the New Testament well, hear me out on this, they actually receive a lower place in the church. In other words, like a a place of a servant or uh, a place of caring and supporting the church versus this, hey, look at me, I'm way up here. So hopefully that makes sense, this idea of, we, we get in trouble when we make this strong clergy-laity distinction because it's not far from making that distinction to a distinction in which the laity are the consumers and the clergy are those who are meant to produce ministry. So you produce ministry in a program, we'll consume that program, you do your job, we'll do our job. You see how fast the train can come off the tracks there as opposed to we're all in this together and God provides leadership to propel us forward as a church, to keep watch over us, to serve the church well. And so we have to fight against this clergy-laity split because pretty soon, as a layperson, you convince yourself that's the staff's job or that's the pastor's job or I'm not really a minister, which leads to the next one. Number five, minister this English word, when you see the term minister, that term in your English New Testament, it probably is used to translate the word servant or the word deacon uh, in the New Testament when, when we see that word showing up. Um, the term minister isn't used in the New Testament for a church office or a church role. All right, go to Ephesians chapter 4 just for a second. So back to the left, into Paul's letters. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 
All right, so Ephesians chapter 4, look in verse 11. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 11. Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Uh, End of verse 11, ESV says the shepherds and teachers. Do translations do anything different at the end of verse 11? Pastors and teachers? Does it say pastors and teachers, or does it say pastor-teacher? Okay. Does anybody get a little hyphen there between pastor and teacher in your translation? Okay. The way that it works out there, trying to determine if pastor and teacher are two separate roles, probably the same role because, if you love grammar, you're going to love this, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, each have the definite article, the T-H-E word, right? The, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and then you get the shepherds and teachers. In other words, that T-H-E word, the definite article, doesn't go separately with pastors and teachers. It's the pastors and teachers. Pastors hyphen and hyphen teachers. Like as it's somehow a combined role. And the reason we think that's the case is because you only get one reference article, one definite article that refers to it. So these are the, the roles that have been given in the church. For what purpose? Verse 12, to equip the saints, all the church together, for what? For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So you have these leadership roles that are given, including a pastor, a pastor teacher, are given to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So from a New Testament perspective, who are the ministers? Well, It's the saints. It's all believers. It's those who have been called to be servants of Christ. That's that's who are the ministers. Now, hear me out on this next part. We are not going to quibble or argue with churches over terminology or anything like this. It does give me personal pause, though, with designating staff roles as minister to X or minister of X. Because you see the danger there, right? When you have a person on staff who is the minister of youth or the minister of children, it makes minister sound like a separate leadership role or a separate staff role when you never see that in the New Testament. Minister is either used to translate the word for deacon or it's used to talk about all the saints called to do the work of ministry in in the New Testament. So internally at Emmaus, we have to think through, okay, well, how do we refer to staff? How do we refer to people? It's important to think about because we want to do the best we can to match the New Testament. We want, to, we want to operate in the most biblical way possible. Can I tell you, we've worked to change some of that language internally. I can still not unsay children's minister or youth minister. So I'm the one teaching this, saying this is super important. I think it's really valuable. And I still can't get the phrase youth minister or children's minister out of my mouth because of all the lifetime of saying that that's led up to this. So if we slip up among us and say children's minister, this is not the time to beat up on people and say, that's not New Testament. Hopefully, though, in the back of our minds, we're being reminded up to hey, who are the real children's ministers? It's us together as the church ministering to the children that the Lord has given to us. You know, who are the youth ministers? It's us 
ministering to the youth that the Lord has given us. So in a perfect world, a perfect world, I think we don't use the term minister to refer to staff positions, and yet so many of us are like hardcore Baptists that how are we going to unsay that? I, I don't know. Like we just have to, we just kind of have to work together about that. Okay, so those are the leadership roles. That's kind of how the New Testament seems to talk about leadership. Down at the bottom, if you're asking yourself, hey, how do I get one of those leadership roles? Well, God gifts and empowers people. We find that clearly in Scripture. You aspire to, 1 Timothy 3.1, or you're chosen based on character and gifting, and then the congregation recognizes and then installs, commissions, ordains. Turn your paper over. We don't have a ton of time. Uh, that material at the top on the back is mainly just for your reference, but there are different terms that are used in the New Testament for what we might call ordination or appointment. Um, there's general terms for appointing someone or giving someone a role that's almost always used with God as the subject. So God appoints leaders. God gives leaders to the church. Um, there's another word for appointing or designating that can be used for deacons in Acts chapter 6 or elders in Titus chapter 1. There's another word that's used that can mean choose or ordain or even vote. It's used in reference to elders in Acts 14 or to people that kind of have a missionary role in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And then there's the concept of laying on of hands that sometimes is connected with ordination. And I've tried to give you different ways in the New Testament that the term for laying hands on people is used. It's not just for church leadership. It's used in a lot of different, a lot of different situations. And so you can see some of those uh, laid out there. All right, let's draw a couple of conclusions from this uh, before we run out of time. Number one, the New Testament does speak to the value of leadership in the local church. So it, it is a valuable idea that God has uh, given leaders to, to the local church. We, we affirm that. We see that in Scripture. Number two, leaders in Scripture are to be servants and they are to be models. So... David Platt has a wonderful phrase that I think I actually put, yep, if you look at the front, point number one, last bullet point, elders or pastors are servant leaders, deacons are leading servants. That's how David distinguishes between those two things, servant leaders and leading servants. Uh, this idea that if you're called to leadership, it's, you're there to serve. That's your primary role. Um, Point C, under those conclusions on the back, leadership in the church should propel the gifting of the congregants, not limit it. If there's one thing that I personally need to learn, and we all as church leadership need to learn, is this idea, and we need you to participate in our learning <laughs> when it comes to this, that the idea, from a New Testament perspective, you don't have deacons because other people aren't serving. You have deacons because you want everyone to serve. And they provide a, a model and a catalyst of what that looks like. You don't have pastoral leadership because you want them to do the work of ministry. You have pastoral leadership because you want them to drive the church into ministry. And so when you see leaders referred to in the New Testament, it doesn't put a lid on ministry. Leaders should take the lid off and allow that ministry to begin happening. Now, Let's admit, 
leaders of the church also kind of need to help focus that ministry in a particular way. There's, there's good pastoral authority that says, hey, I know you mean well by that, but it could really help the church if you did it this way. Hopefully that's just good pastoral leadership, but we, we shouldn't put a lid on, on what happens. Number four, or point D, sorry. Ordination doesn't place a person in a separate class, and it doesn't convey a sense of unbiblical power or authority on that person. Uh, ordination is in reference to God has appointed this person, and the congregation is recognizing that appointment for the good of the, of the church. And then finally, with ordination, the congregation recognizes something God has already been doing in the person's life. And so we want that to be an affirmation of, I see God at work in your life in this way. The congregation is coming along. We as the church say, yeah, I see the Lord leading you in, in that particular way. So what that all tells us, as we kind of try to wrap, put a bow on it, Pray for your pastors. You can call us elders or bishops if you want. I'm sure Jim would love to be called the bishop of Emmaus. Uh, if we could call Jim the bishop of Emmaus, that would be a really, really amazing thing. So, uh, what's that? I know a Jim you know a Jim Bishop, yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, that's awesome. So, there's, there's value in that. We're in this together. And when I say we're in this together, that's the key idea that we are all in this together, that God has called us to, to that work of ministry, and we want to do that well by using our gifts, our roles, the filling of the Holy Spirit to make that happen. So I know that's a lot. I know that's fast. I hope that's a good overview of kind of how leadership and ordination, uh, there's a lot more behind that, but it gets us going. All right, let's pray together, and we'll wrap up. Father, we thank you for what you've given us uh, in Scripture and the New Testament. We want to operate uh, as well as we understand, as well as we can be guided by your Spirit. We want to operate in a way that uh, matches your word, that is in keeping uh, with Scripture, that understands those principles and how we bring them into 21st century church life. Uh, God, thank you for a congregation that's committed to that. God, I pray for leadership at Emmaus, that we would be faithful to care for, to feed, to pray, to lead well, uh, to exercise pastoral authority in a way that serves the church. Uh, not in a way that's domineering, not in a way that's greedy, but in a way that really propels our church in the way that we need to go. Uh, God, we know that that's an imperfect process. We'll mess up in times and how to do that, but but God, show us what that looks like moving ahead. And God, thank you for the gift of, of being able to be a part of a local church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks for being here. God bless you all. appreciate you.